pretty awesome to be here again and get to do this. It's nice to have my brothers with me today. Um, it means a lot to me. So let's get started. We are not big on humility as a people. We are not big on humility as a nation. From the time we were very young, pride has a way of taking over. It becomes about us instead of others. And then we sit here and we wonder why the world is in the condition it's in. In preparing this sermon, I found a quote. Now, there is some dispute as to who the quote actually belongs to, so I'm not going to give a name. But here it is. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. If you have your Bibles with you today, I'd like you to open up to the Gospel of John. Today we're going to look at chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are truly an awesome God. You are our rock and our redeemer. The heavens declare your glory. Father, thank you that while our lives are but a vapor, you love us. Thank you that we can come to your house and worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Father, please block from our minds all the anxiety and busyness of our daily lives. Help us to rest in you this morning. Help us to focus on you. Father, help our hearts to be receptive to what you have for us today. Lord, help me to be faithful to your word. Lord, let not anything come out of my mouth that is not honoring and pleasing to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. 
I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the cotton mouth is setting in. It's awesome. Now, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to look out at the world and say that I love mankind. It's easy for me to look out at the world and say that I want people to know Jesus. But it becomes more difficult when it comes down to the people the Lord seems to put into our daily lives to deal with. In our passage today, we see once again Jesus' loving men who didn't deserve his love. We know this for several reasons. If you look at Luke's account of the Last Supper, we know that just after Jesus announced that one of them would betray him, the disciples got into a dispute. And of all things to argue about, it was over which one of them was the greatest. Can you imagine? Arguing over which of you is the greatest with Jesus Christ in the room with you. Now, for reasons we cannot know, John does not tell us about the Last Supper. He is describing it here at the Passover, and they are eating. But he doesn't mention any institution of the Lord's Supper as the other three Gospels do. At some point during the Supper, according to verse 4 of our text, Jesus got up and he performs this task of washing the disciples' feet. Now, this was normally a task performed by a lowly servant. A slave. Since the foot washing came before Jesus mentions the betrayer, at least in John's account, he doesn't mention the betrayer specifically until verse 26. So it would seem that the dispute among the disciples about which of them was the greatest probably came after this lesson in humility. Not only were the disciples arguing, which showed that they were not worthy of his love, but verse 2 again reminds us that Judas is about to betray Jesus. Now, I don't want to just pick on Judas. He is the disciple at fault in these few verses, but I want to remind you that Peter is about to deny Jesus. Thomas is about to doubt Jesus. All of the disciples are about to desert him at his time of greatest need. Each of these sins show that none of the apostles were worthy of Jesus' love. They were not being loved because of something they had done. They were being loved in spite of who they are. Another thing here is that Jesus washes their dirty feet. They needed to be cleaned. We are just like they were. We all fall short. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have sin in our lives. We all have dirty feet. Jesus has to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe this passage is teaching several things, but today I want us to look at just three of them. I want us to take a look at Jesus' love, I want us to take a look at Jesus' humility, and then we'll end in Jesus' cleansing. So let's take a look at his love in verse 1. We see Jesus loving his own who are in the world and loving them to the end. 
I think the word end here is intentionally ambiguous. I think to the end could mean to the end of Jesus' life. I also think it could mean to the greatest extent possible. In either case, both are true. We are also reminded that Jesus is our Passover lamb. You'll recall in Exodus 12, the story of the Passover. The children of Israel were to take the blood of a lamb without blemish and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses. This was so that the angel of death would pass by their homes and not strike down their firstborn. Once we have put our faith in Jesus, our sins are washed away by his blood and we are passed over by the second death, the eternal death. Revelation 21 speaks of this death where there is total separation from God. I'd also like to point out in verse 1 that Jesus knew his hour had come. Jesus was not somehow blindsided by his death. The cross had been ordained by God for the salvation of our souls. It was a predestined event. Acts 4, 27 and 28 says, For truly in this city there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Now hear this. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. From the beginning, God knew in his sovereign plan what would take place. He is never surprised. Jesus went to the cross because he loves us. He laid aside his glory. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Just as we see him laying aside his garments here in this passage. Still referring to verse 1. Jesus loving his own who are in the world. In John 17, Jesus prays for his own who are in the world. Not for them to leave the world, 1715, but to protect them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, Jesus prays, just as he is not of the world. But walking in the world means we are going to get our feet dirty, and there will be a need for cleansing, as we're going to get to this morning. The last thing I want to point out in verse 1 is that Jesus loved his own. In Ephesians, husbands are charged with loving their wives as Christ loves the church. Did you hear that, husbands? I'm preaching at us. We are to have the love for our wives that Christ has for the church. This puts away every excuse you can possibly come up with.
for why we don't. This is a love in spite of, not because of. Our wives are waiting for us to love them the way we should and to lead them spiritually. Christ laid down his life for the church. Not this building we are inside of. His people, God's chosen children that he predestined before the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of his son through irresistible grace. I like irresistible grace. In John 3.16, we read, For God so loved the world. But not everyone will choose Jesus. So Jesus has a, a special love, if you will, for those that belong to him. That excites me to my very core. To think that Jesus loves me like that gives me a desire deep in my bones to live for him. This is why we were created in the first place, to have fellowship with our Heavenly Father. How great the Father's love for us. So moving from verse 1, we see a sharp contrast in verse 2. We see that the devil had already put it in Judas' heart to betray Jesus. Now, Jesus still loved Judas. Remember, Jesus loves the whole world. But Judas is not one of his own. Jesus washes even Judas' feet. Judas even partook of the Lord's Supper before he left. Going back to John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus knew Judas would betray him when he picked Judas to be one of the twelve. And even though Jesus knew all this, he still loved him. I also think it's important to point out that even though it says the devil had already placed it in his heart, Judas was fully accountable for his actions. Satan tempts all of us. It is up to us to resist the devil in the name of Jesus. And then the Bible says that he will flee from you. So between verses 1 and 2, I want you to think about where you are in that this morning. Are you one of Jesus' own? Are we striving to live for him in a world that is so broken with sin? Are we being motivated to love others regardless of the outcome? If you're sitting here today and you have never experienced Jesus' love, I would ask you the question, why not today? Don't quench the spirit. If Jesus is saying, come, friend, come! You don't have to wait to the end of the service. Interrupt me now. Let's do this thing. There is grace and mercy waiting for you at the cross. In our text today, John is not only giving us a beautiful story of Jesus' love, He's also giving us a story of humble service. So we talked about Jesus' love. Now we're going to go into Jesus' humility. Have you ever heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words? 
In our passage this morning, we don't see Jesus saying he loves the disciples. He is showing them. He is showing us how he loves us, though we are undeserving. We can also learn how to love people in our own lives that we find difficult to love. In verses 3 through 5 of our text, we see Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I like verse 3. In verse 3, we get to see Jesus' authority over the entire universe. The Father had given all things, not a few things, the Father had given all things into his hands. The hands that hold all power are now about to wash the dirty feet of sinful men. To help us better grasp the humility of this act, as I mentioned earlier, this was something done by a servant. He is not their servant. In fact, they have referred to him as teacher and Lord. From a point of status, he is not even their equal. He is greater than they. And yet he performs the lowly task of washing their feet. Does this Jesus sound familiar? This is the same Jesus who was born in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It appears that the disciples were so shocked, in fact, that they sit here in silence until Peter asked the question in verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now the Bible doesn't say the order in which Jesus washed their feet. Who knows? That may have led to the argument that is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. Maybe whoever Jesus started with thought they were the greatest. It doesn't even matter for our text, but I found all of it very interesting. Jesus will go on to say in verses 14 and 15 that he is giving them an example of how they should serve one another. But since Pastor Matt is excited about getting back to preaching... That's his for next week. Our focus here this morning is Jesus' humility in doing this act. I don't want to scare you, but I have a couple of sub-points under my humility point. So I like points and outlines, so here we go. The first thing I want us to look at to break down humility, to help us understand humility this morning. The first is this. Humility recognizes that no task is beneath us to do for the sake of Christ. Okay, I, want, I want you to hear that. Humility recognizes that no task is beneath us to do for the sake of Christ. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9 says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality 
to one another without grumbling. That really is the key. Without grumbling means cheerfully. Now, I don't know about you, but I could not have served Judas and washed his feet cheerfully or otherwise, knowing what he was about to do. And then we have Jesus, who did it out of love. We all have different spiritual gifts, but we should never be too good to do something for the Lord. So as, as I'm preparing this sermon, I'm like, it, it really hits you. Like, I always wondered, how do, how do pastors get fed? You know, he's preaching all the time. He's not being preached at. Like, how does he get his spiritual feeding? Well, when you're writing a sermon, you get beat to death with it. And as I wrote this, I became convicted of all the things I don't do. Easy things. Come to church a couple minutes early on a Sunday morning and clean a restroom. Pick up communion cups at the end of service. Serve coffee. Set up tables and chairs. Break down tables and chairs. I could keep going. We need to stop saying it's not my job. If you're here today and you love the Lord, I'm up here, which means I get to talk, and I'm here to tell you, it is your job. It is my job. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We need to serve together in humility and unity. They're like, oh man, I hope all his sub points aren't all this long. So, brings us to my second one. Humility requires thinking more highly of others than we think of ourselves. See, even in the midst of all this, the disciples have a dispute as to which of them is the greatest. And while the dispute is happening, Jesus says in verses 25 through 27 of Luke 22, And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. In Philippians, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, when he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Fact. Where there is people... There will always be pride. So many of our problems could be solved if we just put others first. 
Right, brother? How many quarrels in the church or in the home would simply dissipate if we just let go of self? In our text, we see Jesus putting others before himself. The third thing is this. Humility requires getting your focus off your rights and off your needs and onto the needs of others. In verse 3, we see that all things had been handed over to Jesus by the Father. And the Bible says that he knew it. You think Jesus had some rights? In Philippians, it says that God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No one is greater than Jesus Christ. He is the great I am. And here are the disciples arguing about which one of them is the greatest with Jesus Christ right there. How dare they? Right? Let me make you more uncomfortable. How dare we? How dare we not read our Bibles? How dare we not pray? How dare we not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world? You're going to fall asleep today. We're going to keep you awake. Amen? <laughs> See, not just in this story, but throughout Jesus' ministry, he gave selflessly to others. Jesus always put the needs of others before his own. So to refresh, we have that humility recognizes that no task is beneath us to do for the sake of Christ. Humility requires thinking more highly of others than we think of ourselves. Humility requires getting our focus off of our rights and off of our needs and onto the needs of others. The last sub-point, then we're moving on. Humility requires receiving, friends, and not just giving. Did you hear that? I didn't mess up. Humility requires receiving and not just giving. I know it sounds like I've changed directions on you, but I, I haven't. We can serve others in pride. Look what I am doing for you. <laughs> no. That is not a servant's heart. It can be easy for us to look down on the people that we are serving we can think that we are better than the people that we are serving. Peter not wanting Jesus to wash his feet could have come from a place of pride. Maybe he wanted to serve better than the other disciples by not letting Jesus wash his feet. We don't know that. That's speculation. But it can be very easy to allow pride to take control when we are serving but Jesus says to Peter that if he doesn't let Jesus wash his feet, he has no share or part with him. And then Peter says, since he's always overzealous, he gets himself into trouble, 
And then he always jumps back. He says, not only my feet, but my hands and my head also. Friends, many people are offended by the gospel because they don't want to simply receive it. It cannot be achieved through our own works. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen? And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Hear this. You cannot make it to heaven on good works. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He says that no one comes to the Father but through him. So we talked about Jesus' love way back in the beginning, remember? And then we talked about Jesus' humility, and then I did all my sub-points to you. But I told you we were going to land in Jesus' cleansing. We're going to take a look at that now. You cannot experience Jesus' love, nor can you serve in humility unless you have been cleansed by Jesus Christ. The passage here with Jesus washing the disciples' feet is a picture of them being cleansed from sin. This is something only Jesus can do. We must be washed in the blood of Jesus to be saved. In verse 10 of our text, Jesus says that the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. When we get saved, our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future sins are washed away. But there is a need for continual cleansing, which is what is being shown to us here. See, after we are saved, we still sin. That is why if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mentioned Romans 3.23 earlier. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The last part of Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We are born into sin. We cannot avoid that. But like Judas was accountable for his actions, so are we accountable for ours. We must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. God will not be where sin is. 1 John 1, 5 says that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. 1 John 1 goes on to teach that if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie. And the truth is not in us. As I mentioned before, God loves the whole world. However, it is because of his righteousness and holiness that sin has no place with him. 
Friends, if Jesus doesn't cleanse your sins, you will die the second death in the lake of fire. This convicts me where I'm standing. Makes me very uncomfortable. We are to be holy as he is holy. We can't live without sin, but we should hate our sin. Did you hear that? I'm calling us to hate our sin. You don't want to like something in your life? Choose that. Our feet will get dirty. That is why we should constantly be confessing our sins and repenting of them. And yes, confession and repentance are two different things. But that's a topic for another time. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. 1 John 1.7 says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If you hear anything I say today, it's been hard, I've been loud the whole time, so you have to basically hear all of it. But if you take anything with you this morning, take this. We cannot get to heaven of our own accord. I know it sounds like, like I'm repeating myself, but I want us to understand that good works and what I do is not going to get me to the Father. Just won't. It is the shed blood of Jesus Christ that sets us free. Just as Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he must wash us. Pray to him. Cry out to him. The Bible says to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Come. Experience Jesus' love. Serve others in humility. Spread the love of Jesus to your friends and neighbors. This is how we make Jesus non-ignorable in Lahana and to the ends of the earth. Amen? May we start a revival in this valley that will spread to the entire world. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, Lots of us here that can help you with that. And we'd love to. If you know him this morning, let's serve one another in humility and love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all the good that you so graciously bestow upon us. We are not worthy of your love. Thank you, Father, for the example we have in Jesus. Father, may we learn to live in Jesus' love. May we learn to serve others in humility as Jesus did. May our lives reflect that we have had an encounter with the maker of the heavens and the earth. Lord, let others see what you have done in our lives, and may they glorify you. 
Lord, if anyone here today doesn't know the cleansing power of Jesus' blood, Father, I ask you to save them. Only you can save them. Father, we praise you and we love you, and we ask all these things in the highly exalted name of Jesus.